You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Hey, y'all go ahead and grab a seat. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2, the book of Acts chapter 2. And excited to, to study there with you this morning. We're going to be kind of looking at a few other passages as well, but that'll be our focus text is Acts chapter 2. To and give you a second to turn there. You ready for Thanksgiving? Yes. Man, super excited. Always a good time. Man, look, looking forward to it. Anybody go to the game yesterday? Last night? Man, ah, it's tough. You know, I remember one of the, uh, Lauren and I, my wife, our, our, one of our first, probably the first game we went to as a couple, as a married couple uh, here in Lubbock, going to a Texas Tech game, football game. And I remember we, we parked uh, kind of more, more, towards, more towards 19th Street and walked uh, down University toward uh, the stadium. And as we're walking, we get about to where, um, man, I think Witch Witch used to be there. I don't know what's there now, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Walking down University and getting closer to the stadium and this big truck, as you know, on game day, often like, the closer you get to the stadium, the crowd kind of moves a little bit slower as you're walking towards the football stadium. And this guy in this big old truck has his window, that window rolled down. And for some reason he chooses to, to look at Lauren and I and he says, Raider! Well, Lauren and I, not having grown up here, we go, yeah! <laughs> and he goes, at this point, yeah, we're, we're, still, we're still driving, or sorry, walking, and he's just kind of creeping along with us. And he's like, Raider! And we're like, try a little more emphasis now. Yeah! <laughs> Finally, he goes, say it! And we're like, Raider! <laughs> Which, what were we supposed to say? Yeah, yeah, we're, we missed, we, we needed some lessons. But now we know. Now if you, if you see us, we know what to do. But we, we weren't quite with it at the moment. And uh, I'll still laugh about the humili- humiliation we felt. Because even the people around us were kind of like, what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> like, what is going on? What, one thing I love about living in love, I was actually talking with Channing about this morning, um, is just the culture of living in a college town. Like, if, if, if you don't like that, then you're in the wrong city, right? Like, uh, I mean, there's, there's something fun about living in a college town, just the atmosphere. I love the camaraderie. Even, even on, a, on a year when maybe uh, the football team isn't the best we've ever been, there's just something fun in the air on Saturdays in a college town, or even with, with b- basketball season starting, right? Just, just good times and just kind of this, this electric atmosphere in the community where everybody kind of comes together. It's almost like I, I would ask, like, who doesn't want to be part of that? I, I was telling her this morning, like, I, I don't know that I'd want to live not in a college town now because there's just something electric in, in the air about the community that happens around uh, sports and things like that. Unfortunately, I feel like that's not always the case when it comes to church. So if you look at uh, college life, college sports, I think, again, there's this, this unity, this unison that is almost magnetic. It, it's compelling that people want to be part of it. I think with church, Sometimes it can almost feel repulsive. Like people come to church and they walk out and they're like, I ain't ever coming to that church again. By the way, just as like kind of a heads up, that does happen here sometimes. I think we're prone to, we're so friendly, we're the friendliest church. Like it is a friendly church, but there are certainly people that come in these doors and no one speaks to them and they walk out and they don't feel this compelling electric atmosphere of this community. 
So we've got a little work to do, I'd say. But I think that's one of the beautiful things about this, this series we're doing called Back to the Basics that Pastor, Pastor David and I are doing of looking at the early church in Acts 2 and what were some of those basic things about who they were that defined them. And there's something beautiful as we look at the text. There's kind of this raw, almost just nature to it that was beautiful and lovely and inviting and, and compelling. And so again, we wanna get our characteristics of, as a church from the early church and what the things, as many as things they often got wrong, if you read the books of First and Second Corinthians, they also got a lot right. And that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at two more characteristics. So we're gonna read through Acts 2, 42 through 47, and then kind of unpack the thing we're gonna see today. So if you would join there with me in verse 42. And many have just been saved after Peter preached. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. All right, here's the first thing I want us to see from this text as we're looking at kind of a total of six things over these three weeks, and that is this. We must be a people of contagious joy, not me-centered Morality. I'll say that again. We must be a people of contagious joy, not me-centered morality. So first of all, do you see the joy in this text? Like, I, think, I think about even comparing, thinking about uh, Texas Tech atmosphere, being down at university, uh, walking the street, and then even think about this text. I, I think there is a similar electric atmosphere of joy. Man, who, who wouldn't want to be part of this? When you read this passage, who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that? It's this, this overflowing joy. Now, the reason I say contagious joy, I know in today's world we have to be, contagious is kind of a, a little sketchy word there, right? So um, I want to be careful there. But this, this joy that we don't keep to ourselves, that we want others to experience. And so what we're really getting at, what I'm getting at here, that I think is implicit in the text is, them sharing the gospel, them telling other people about the goodness of Jesus. So not just wanting to experience Jesus and keep it to yourself, but wanting others to know about the goodness of God. We've been talking about it this year in terms of loving the lost, like caring about people enough, loving them enough to actually tell them about Jesus and the hope and the forgiveness and the salvation that he offers. And, and if you say, well, okay, in the, verse 47, it says, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved, we're gonna unpack that statement in a, set, in a second, a little bit more. But if you say, well, are they really sharing the gospel? I would say, absolutely. We know that it doesn't explicitly say it here. They were. If you go back to Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would become, or come upon them and they would be his what? Thank you, yeah, let's try that again. They would be his witnesses, right? Yeah, if you don't know Acts 1, it's a good verse to memorize, okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses, right? So they, 
we're commanded by Jesus to go and to share the good news of Jesus. If you go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go therefore and make what? Disciples, yes, so go and spread the good news and not just like, you're saved, check, now we go to the next person. No, but you're like a newborn baby, you help them grow in Christ, right? You, you disciple them. So even just from, from those passages of what Jesus started and looking at what's ha- happening in Acts chapter two, the Lord is saving people, but clearly they were busy about spreading the good news, about sharing the love of Jesus. And what I love about the, the uh, contextualizing this is as they were sharing the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, that all of us are sinners and separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve so we can now have restored relationship with God and be in community with him and one day experience heaven, but even experience now the love, joy, and peace and hope of God. As they were sharing that story, it was compelling. Nothing about this passage, as people are being added to the number daily, makes it seem like they're going around browbeating people. You know what I mean? Like, you need Jesus. Like, no, they're sharing the good news. And as people are looking at the community of believers, the church, they're seeing, man, again, church, not these four walls, but the body of Christ, his people, they're saying, man, there's something different about these people. Look at the joy and the hope that they have. Look at the love they have for each other. Look at how they care for one another. Their, their story was compelling because their actions backed up what they were saying. The reason I say, worded it as a contagious joy, not me-centered morality, I think one of the biggest hindrances to having a contagious joy and having a compelling message of the gospel and inviting people into God's family, one of the biggest hindrances is this me-centered morality. So the idea that you get saved and then you're just gonna go to church and try to do the right things and you're just kind of taking care of yourself. Like, I'm not worried about y'all. I'm just trying to stay on track myself. I'm trying to stay, stay right, stay pure. Y'all do your thing. I'm just taking care of me. One, that's not really compelling, right? Like, you know, tell me, Jeremy, tell me how Christ has changed your life. Just trying to take care of me, man. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> how, how's it changed your life? Man, I'm just trying to really live pure, not mess up. Is that compelling? Is that compelling? No. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking. Do you remember what he said? He sees Jesus walking and he says, starts with B, rhymes with rehold. (laughs) Behold, look, there he is. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at Jesus. He's the savior. He's the one who will wash up your sin. Look at him. He didn't say, behave. There's Jesus, y'all need to straighten up. Like, no, behold. That, so you know what? People beheld the Lamb of God. We're told behave all of our lives. Behold the Lamb of God who behaves on your behalf. <laughs> wow, that, I'm interested. 
I think about 2 Corinthians chapter five, Paul's writing and he, he unpacks the gospel that Christ who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Christ took on our sin. He paid the penalty completely. He doesn't count our sins against us. And Paul says, therefore, so because of what Jesus has done for us, therefore, so we are his ambassadors. If you're always trying to, to make yourself right with God, I gotta be perfect and, and I gotta make sure I'm, I'm thinking straight and feeling right and doing everything right, you're not gonna have time to tell the people about the goodness of Jesus. But when you realize that your salvation is settled, that it's done, that Christ paid the penalty, it's over, that frees you up. That gives you time to be able to tell other people what Christ has done for them as well, to be his ambassador, to be a spokesperson for Christ, to tell others about the goodness of Jesus. Is your me-centered morality keeping you from overflowing in this contagious joy? Wanting others to know about Jesus, sharing the gospel. Maybe, maybe you don't share the gospel because you say, man, I just, I just don't think I can. I don't know what that looks like. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess it up. Well, remember Acts 1, 8, remember a great verse to memorize that he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. What Jesus is saying, Christ, the Holy Spirit in you will give you the power, the ability to share the gospel. So you're not going and sharing the gospel like, all right, Brandon's all on his own. No, you're going and sharing the gospel and the Holy Spirit, God himself is in you, working in you to speak through you to whoever you're sharing the gospel with, to whoever you're reaching out to. So you're not alone. And again, I love uh, the end of this passage, verse 47, it says, every day the Lord, had, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So just for clarity's sake, who is it that actually saves people? Is it you or is it God? It's God. Yes, it's not you. You need to be faithful in sharing, but it's God who does the saving. So the pressure's off a little bit. When I think about that, like, okay, God is the one that saves. I just need to be faithful in sharing. It makes me think about a metaphor that Jesus used when he talked about sharing the gospel, and it was fishing. He said, you are fishers of men, right? And it doesn't mean only men get saved, fishers of people, right? That you would go and fish for people. I don't know anything about fishing, even though I grew up in Florida, which sounds kind of like heresy, right? Like it's like growing up in Texas and not knowing anything about brisket. Um, but I don't know much about fishing. So I talked with my buddies, Matt and Casey on, on Wednesday and distracted them from their Awana duties. Sorry, Miss Pam Copeland. Um, and they gave me some ideas about fishing. And it's, it's really is cool to think about the beautiful picture that fishing is for sharing the gospel. And they could tell you way more. We could do a whole sermon just on fishing and sharing the gospel, but just to keep it simple. One thing we talked about was the, the posture of fishing. So though you may get excited about going fishing and you, we're gonna go catch some fish, you don't see guys, I mean, not that I'm aware of, and they said they don't really see this, like you don't see guys like how you do before a football game, you're pumping each other up and you're like, you got the face paint on, let's go do this. Like you don't do that for fishing, right? <laughs> like you're gonna scare the fish, like shh, calm down, right? Though you may be uh, positive and excited and um, confident, at the end of the day, you can't make the fish bite the hook, right? You will go to your home fish, right? Like you will bite the hook or the bait, whatever. No, there's this posture of, man, we're, we're gonna throw a line out and see what happens. Right? We do, do everything we can to get the best bait in the water, 
in the right location, but can't make the fish bite the bait. We're just gonna do all we can. Isn't that cool to think about when you're sharing the gospel? It's not this, you listen to me, you sit down, listen to the gospel, right? Like, which I don't think people would do that today, but I think we don't share the gospel because we're afraid that's what it'll look like. No, it just, it's just a simple posture of throw a line in the water and, and see what happens. You're not responsible for making them bite the bait. I think about, um, one thing they share was just like the place. So you may go to a new lake or whatever, or even a river, I guess, and there's different, there's different, this is another term they use, maybe hot spots where the fish are biting. Am I doing okay? All the fishermen in the room are like, you are terrible. <laughs> there's different spots, there's different places where the fish are more prone to bite or, or I think you're, you're tracking with me. So you figure out where those spots are and that's where you go fish. Like if you know there's a spot where there's no fish, they're not biting, and you, but there is a spot where they are, like what? Why, why would you not go to the spot where they are? Missionaries um, sometimes, like in foreign countries, often use the phrase, a person of peace. Meaning, so maybe they're in a foreign land where there's not hardly any Christians whatsoever, but they meet somebody who, and they just have a soft spot towards talking about God, like very broadly God, or a soft spot for talking about religion. And so sometimes a missionary will say, that's a person of peace, meaning Maybe the Lord's doing something there. Maybe this could be kind of an avenue to even reaching other people. Henry Blackaby used to say something to the effect of, find out where God is working and go join him there. That's this picture of when you're going fishing for souls, find out where God is working and, and, and go join there. Like, keep going back to that spot. You know there's a, a lake or a pond where the fish are biting? You keep going back to that spot as long as they're catching. Uh, Another thing we talked about was, was the persistence in fishing. So uh, I was telling the guys, I have caught zero fish since I've been in Lubbock, 11 years. But you know what? You know how many times I've gone fishing since I've been in Lubbock? Zero times. <laughs> yeah. You can, I just don't like tucking the, touching the fish. I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm not, just, you can make fun of me. I just, I'm not a fan, all right? I like fried fish. <laughs> it's good. They were saying, Matt was saying, you know, if we had caught, if we hadn't caught more fish than you at this point, then we should stop, right? Because they go, he said, we go fishing a lot. And we talked about the ratio. The more you, like, practically speaking, over a year's time, the more you fish, the more you should catch fish, right? I mean, obviously, if you're like terrible, you're out there with an air horn, like the whole time, like, maybe that's not gonna help. But the more you fish, the more fish you should catch. And I love what one of them said. You can't catch them if the lure ain't in the water, right? If it's not in the water, you're not catching. Just persistence in going. If you've never shared the gospel, you've never asked somebody, hey, do you have a faith? If you've never this year said, hey, let me tell you, like, or let me ask you, do you, do you and your family go to church somewhere? If you've never done anything to, to, to throw, that's not how you, whatever. <laughs> if you never cast the line, then I can guarantee you've caught zero fish, right? You gotta throw a line out. I made a reminder Friday morning as I was thinking about this and just even like convicted by it, I made a little reminder on my phone. I just told Siri to do it so you can have Siri help you with this. At every day at 8 a.m., Siri, remind me to go fishing. Apostrophe, not with a G, apostrophe, right? Go fishing. Have a little fun with it. What might God do today I just drop a line in. What might he do? 
I think fairly, if you're asking like, hey, I don't know what that looks like or where to start, I'm gonna real quick, using the acronym of ACTS, A-C-T-S, give you some quick thoughts on, on how to do that, on how to start beginning to live this life of contagious joy where you share the gospel. Real quick, number one, ask God to make you a bold witness. Ask God to make you a bold witness. So A for acts, I'm using the word ask. Ask God to make you a bold witness. You know what happens when you start doing that? I think God starts opening your eyes to opportunities. So I've been trying to pray that more recently and we're at the, uh, which man, I miss fishing opportunities all the time, like all the time. But it was cool yesterday and, and nothing came of it, but we were at the playground yesterday uh, with the kiddos and there's another family out there and because I've been praying, God, would you make me a bold witness? I thought, oh, I should talk to this guy. And I just simply, I just tried to begin the conversation with like, man, hey, do you and your family go to church somewhere? And he was like, you're dead to me, I hate you. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> no, he was like, no, we go to Live Oak. I was like, awesome. <laughs> it wasn't, isn't it funny how we get nervous about stuff? And he's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm a Christian too, man. It's like, okay, thought I was gonna have to fish, all right. Like, Ask God to make you a bold witness. Number two, for C, care about others and treat them as more important than yourself. Care about others and treat them as more important than yourself. I mean, it's amazing, I really do believe this. When you, when you care for people, when you slow down long enough to look people in the eye and talk to them and ask them how they're doing, it's amazing the doors that might open. Or even just when you do ask them about if they have a faith or if you can pray for them for something, if you've been caring to them, it's amazing how they open up often. So we've got to ask God to make you a bold witness, care about others. For the T, again, the acronym of ACTS, we have this. Take any opportunity, take any opportunity to ask why they believe what they believe, and I'm giving you a lot here. Pray for them or share about Jesus. So if you want to shorthand it, take any opportunity. Any chance you get to, to bring up faith, to bring up Jesus, to bring up, can I pray for you? Man, just take it, go for it. Take any opportunity. And then lastly under this one, number four, for the S in the acronym ACTS, we have stop obsessing and start obeying. That's probably the one I need the most. Stop obsessing and start obeying. What do I mean by stop obsessing? So you've got a coworker, you've got a classmate, you've got a family member, Thanksgiving's coming up. You're like, I ain't trying to fish on Thanksgiving, bro. <laughs> And, and you're like, okay, what should I say? What if I ask them if they go to church somewhere and they're like, no, I don't go to church. I'm not a church person. What am I gonna say? And you start sweating and you're obsessing over how you're gonna handle it. Stop obsessing over controlling it perfectly and just obey. Has God called us to share the gospel? Has God called us to make disciples? Oh, we hear the microphone? <laughs> Has God called us to be the light of the world? Yes. So stop obsessing over doing it perfectly and just obey. And I, it's amazing to me how when, when you just kind of throw a line out and obey what God does. It's so cool that when people have reached out to a friend for the first time or tried to share the gospel for the first time and they come back like, man, I feel like God just kind of took over and I didn't have all the answers, but it was cool how God worked. That's exactly right. Stop obsessing, start obeying. And, and through all of that, you know what? I think, again, is this underlying, needs to be this underlying culture of, of praying and seeking God's help. And that's going to lead us to our second 
characteristic for today. Moving quickly, that is this. We must be a people of prayer, not pessimism. We must be a people of prayer, not pessimism. So if you look back at verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Really simple. Devoted to prayer. Have you noticed how easy it is to drift from prayer, to get out of the rhythm of praying? I think one of the reasons is, I think we drift towards pessimism. So this, man, God's not gonna do anything. Does he even hear my prayers? My prayers don't matter. So we just kind of give up on prayer. And isn't it also interesting how closely linked pessimism and pride are? So, man, I don't know if God even hears me, if he's gonna do anything. So you know what? I'm just gonna try to do this on my own. And when you quit praying, it actually reveals a heart of pride, right? If I'm not saying, God, I need you. I'm seeking your counsel on this. Or will you intervene here? Or will you show us what to do here? All these things. If you quit praying like that, then it actually shows that you've got some pride in your heart and you think you can do it on your own. Quickly drift from prayer to pessimism. But the early church, they were people of prayer. They were devoted to it. You know what's interesting? Prayer does work. It does change things. So I, I, I fully believe God is in control and that he's in sovereign. And I don't have to manage this, that he is sovereign. I don't have to manage this tension, but somehow God is completely in control, but also prayer works. I'm not in charge of figuring that out. And if I, I like that I believe in a God that I don't fully understand, amen? <laughs> I don't have to fully manage that tension. James 5, 13 through 18, it's all these different passages about prayer. And it says, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. This is from James chapter five. When you pray, it changes things. When we pray as the body of Christ, it changes things. I think that's one of the reasons that the disciples, they didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to teach or to sing, but to what? To pray. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Not Jesus, we're about to preach, we're about to get up there, we've got to have a massive podcast, we're gonna have a live stream, it's gonna be sick. No, not Jesus, give us a beautiful voice like Maddox, like no. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Because prayer changes things. This word here is in where it says they were devoted to prayer, a very general word for prayer that literally means to turn your face to God and express a desire. To turn your face to God and express a desire. What a simple, beautiful picture of prayer, right? I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, we must not, excuse me, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We must lay before him, before the Lord, what is in us, not what ought to be in us. So not going to God with this fake, holier-than-thou attitude, but just coming to God with what you got. I think that's why Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. So give this the alternative. Rather than being anxious, all these things that are on your heart and mind and kind of want to balloon up into the sky, no, come back here, no. Like, take those things and just give them to the Lord. So maybe you do act instead of trying to hold them in and be anxious, all those kind of thoughts that you kind of picture as balloons, just let them rise up to the Lord. 
God, I, I can't control these. I can't, I can't harness and handle all these thoughts and anxieties anyway. So I'm gonna let these kind of float on up to you, Jesus. So what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety upon him because, why? He cares for you. God, can we talk? I'm struggling. It's not just that, it's in 1 Timothy 2, one through six, he's, Paul's telling Timothy how we should pray for all people. And he says, we should pray for people because God desires for all to be saved. I think when they were praying here in Acts chapter two, they were devoted to prayer. I think one of the things they were praying for is that God would save people. And that's why you see in verse 47, God was adding to their number daily. Your prayers for people changes things. Do you, do you pray for people to be saved? You know, I really do believe that even when we gather on Sunday morning, that this, this moment with God is even a little bit deeper and richer and a little more on edge with excitement when you've been praying for people to be saved and they're sitting in the room with you. That's a game changer. Think about Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, where Paul's saying he prays for the, the believers in Ephesus. They would be strengthened with the power of Christ and that they would know deep in their gut the love of Christ. Man, do we pray for each other that way, that you would be strengthened with the power of God and that deep in your gut you would, you would know how loved you are in Christ. And then I love it, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter four, they, they pray for boldness. So they experience kind of, you could say some persecution and then they, they pray that God would grant them to be bold. And I love that. It says, Lord, consider their threats. They're being threatened. And it says, grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. And our people of pessimism, I'll never share the gospel. I'll never be on fire for Christ. No, man, God, would you give me boldness? Would you give me an excitement about sharing the gospel? Would you give our church a passion for sharing the love of Jesus? But here's the thing, y'all. It's not just that prayer changes things. It's also about what takes place in prayer, being devoted to prayer. See, it's not just that things are changed. It's also that you get to experience the presence of God. Psalm 145 verse 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He's near. Psalms also say that God is near to the brokenhearted. I think our, uh, our pediatrician for the kids actually gave us one of the coolest pictures of this. He didn't mean to, but he's a believer and I think that's probably why this happened. Um, it was about the, uh, I guess the fourth night when Lauren had the kids, uh, the twins, and by the fourth night of being in the hospital and Haddon was still in the NICU and uh, Caroline, I tell you, our little girl was down to about three pounds, which uh, she gets her massive size from her daddy, as you can tell. And um, I remember having been sleeping on with a little like pull-out bed in the hospital, very comfortable. You know what I'm talking about? A little thing that slides out and is very, very comfortable and not at all. And uh, our pediatrician, Dr. Klepper, amazing man, he, uh, he came in. It was one of our first times to meet him. And he came in, he was making rounds that morning. He came in pretty fast. And we actually were both, Lauren and I were both uh, asleep and so kind of sit up. She's on the hospital bed. I'm down on this floor thing and kind of sit up. And he's talking to us about, uh, we need to do this and you gotta make sure you feed them this way. And like list all these things, which as new, some parents, like I thought when they had their newborn, their first kids, they're like, really like, man, we got this. We were not those people. We were pretty not confident at all. And he, he lists all these things and he turns to walk out and I'm still trying to wake up. You know what I mean? I'm still like, what, did, what is going on? And 
I, I was nervous to say anything because, man, this is Dr. Klepper, he's in a hurry. He's a, he's a big time guy. But I said, I'm sorry, Doc, as he was walking out. I said, can, can you, I, I just, I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, you just gave a bunch of stuff. I'm not sure I'm tracking with all that we need to do. And Lauren and I are a little overwhelmed right now. I'm sitting on this little, uh, little pullout bed. And Dr. Klepper came back into the room. He came and sat by me on that little pullout bed. And his, he put his arm around me. And he said, buddy, I'll stay here as long as you need me to. He said, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna walk through this together. After the fact, Lauren and I talked and said, man, wasn't that a cool picture of what God does for us? We feel like we're interrupting God. God's big time. We don't wanna interrupt him with our problems and we're just willing to turn your face and express that desire. He says, I, I got all the time in the world. We got this. Here for you. See, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Now, what would happen to your life if you started carving out time just to talk with the Lord? You don't have to find this massive list and pray all the right things, just talk to Him. And at first, it's going to feel so awkward. But with time, you're gonna get comfortable with his arm being around you. you know, what would happen to our church if we became a church that prayed? To believe that a church that is a praying church is a powerful church. A church that is a praying church is a church that experiences the presence of God. We must be a people of contagious joy. And how are we gonna have that joy? We've gotta pray. How are we gonna be a church that, that shakes the world for the kingdom of God? We've gotta be a praying church. I'm gonna ask uh, David to come on up. And we're gonna actually, this morning, take a moment to pray together. Yeah, we're, we're okay on time. Here in a few moments, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song like we always do to close. And there'll be a few folks down front. And if you wanna talk to someone about trusting in Christ. We talked about the good news of the gospel. You want to talk to someone about that? Or maybe you just, you want some prayer. I mean, there's something special about someone putting their hand on your shoulder and, and praying out loud for you. These, these folks down front here in a minute as we sing would love to do that. And they'll be here for you when that time comes. But right, what we're going to do right now is similar to what we did last week. If you were here, if you weren't, no problem. I'll explain it again. But we're in a second going to kind of group up and I'm not going to put a, a number. Um, I really would love if, if, you would in a minute, don't, not at the second, but kind of look around. If there's some folks or a person around you that's by themselves, I would love for you to bring them into your, your kind of little huddle. But I think it'd be cool if we got in groups of four or five. 15 might be a little extreme and kind of hard to pray together, right? But I think groups of, of four, or five, four to six somewhere in there. If your family's eight, then go for it. Um, but to get together for a moment and just spend some time in prayer. And I'm gonna, here in a second, I'll, we're gonna have some, some prayer points on the screen that I'm gonna walk us through. I'll give you just about a, a minute, 90 seconds, that's not much for each one of those. But here's the cool thing. The way we pray when we gather changes what happens when we scatter, right? When we pray together, 
We experience God's goodness here in this gathering. When we go to scattering, we see God's hand at work. So we're gonna take a moment to pray. So if you would right now, I'll give you about 30 seconds. Look around you, form a group. But really would love for you not to be by yourself with this. Man, we are the body of Christ. You are not alone. So please stand up, look for someone around you, pull them into your group. I'll let you form your groups and then we're gonna walk through these prayer points. Really quick, go ahead and get in those groups. Okay, so our first prayer point, I know some of y'all are still kind of moving. The first prayer one is this, pray for boldness in sharing the gospel and to see opportunities for sharing the gospel. So again, I'm not gonna give you a whole lot of time because we don't have a whole lot of time, but I think if one or two of you would just take a moment and pray for that, for boldness and to see opportunities and make the most of them, uh, pray for that, go for it. I'm gonna give you uh, our second prayer point, and that is this. Thank God for salvation and his goodness to us. There are lots of reasons to give thanks to God. So I think, man, what an opportunity just to thank God for him saving us, but also, man, it is Thanksgiving week, right? So just think, nothing's off the table, right? If you wanna thank God for your dog, go for it, okay? <laughs> what, do you, what can we give thanks to God? A couple of you pray, give thanks to God in this moment. Lastly, our third thing is I want to let you take a moment. This is where we could go longer, I know. Um, I want you to take a moment and maybe just share a prayer request. I think the odds are in a lot of our groups this morning, there probably are some things that I mean, you, could, you could ask for some prayer. And you may be with some strangers if you don't want to lay all the details out in the line until to get that. But uh, we'd love for you to share some prayer requests and then have someone in the group pray for those couple requests. I'll give you a minute now to do that.
If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 